Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is Apala Mukherjee, Circular Economy Leader and Director at BASF Corporation. BASF is one of the largest chemical companies in the world and is one of many companies worldwide which are considering how to best reduce waste, both for sustainability reasons and for cost reduction reasons. But as noted on BASF's own website, the concept of a circular economy isn't just about waste reduction, and Apala is joining me today to help define the term, explain what it means in practice at a large multinational firm like BASF, and describe some of the remaining implementation challenges facing businesses who are committed to circular economy principles. Stay with us. Paula, it's a pleasure to have you here with me on Resources Radio. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I wanted to start by asking you to tell our listeners about you, your background, including how long you've been in your current position as a circular economy leader. Hi, Kristen. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I have a very traditional chemical industry background, polymer chemist with an MBA And I've been working in the industry for over two decades in various technical, commercial, and management roles. But what is more interesting is the range of industries I've interfaced with throughout my various roles, be it in health and nutrition, packaging, paints and adhesives, automotive, consumer goods. And over the years, I've seen shifts in all of these industries to move to a more circular mindset albeit at different rates. But now it is accelerating and I'm very excited to be leading this effort for BSF in North America since this year. Hmm, Fantastic. Well, let's start with some definitions then. I think it's always great to have kind of a baseline understanding of terminology. So can you start by defining the term circular economy for our listeners? And I, in particular, I'd love to hear where there's kind of relative agreement on that definition and where it might mean different things to different people. Absolutely. Happy to do so. So um, the term circularity or circular economy at its basic level is quite simple. It means it is a system that aims to keep using the resources continuously and eliminate waste. Mm -hmm. Circular by definition means keeping materials in the economy and not putting it in the environment. Mm -hmm. What it does not state is that it has to be in the same form. That's where the difference lies. That's only a starting point. So we would want to keep, definitely keep materials. You can transform efficiently to the same form, which is great but not all of that can be. Our aim is to convert materials into usable materials by the most efficient process. And maybe that leads me to another kind of big picture question. Can can any product be recovered? Can any product be fit into a a circular economy model? Um, And if not, are there some that are kind of easier to fit into that now versus ones that might need quite a bit of innovation to get there? Yeah, that's a great question, Kristen. Um, We'd like to think that it can be and it should be, Mm -hmm. but it requires different um, processes and techniques. Some of them have been existing for quite some time, right? Mm -hmm. For example, we know glass and metals can be recycled um, and they have had been recycling for uh, quite a long time. So the other side of it is that glass and metals have 
higher carbon footprint when transportation mm-hmm. is included, right? Mm-hmm. So we have lightweighted, say, a car using plastics. So plastics are a different category. Uh, they are not one material. So for example, plastics like PET, which you know you see in water bottles, uh, it's number one in under you know when you see the recycle symbol, mm-hmm. or number two, HDPE. Um, they are quite easily recyclable, mm-hmm. but some of the plastics are not, which go into making composite materials or mixed materials. Mm-hmm. Take, for example, your sneakers, right? You wear them every day, but they actually are a mixture of various types of polymers. Mm-hmm. BS have actually worked very closely with Adidas to make this multi-material shoe into one material shoe made of thermoplastic polyurethane. Now, this shoe can be recycled numerous times. Yeah. So essentially, you can own only one pair of shoe material and you can go through it throughout your life. But that requires design thinking and innovation. And it is not as easy as you may lose performance. So Mm -hmm. that's where we have to think about innovation and systems design constantly. Mm -hmm. So what what would you say are the products that people are most focused on? on innovating around um you know you mentioned you gave a great example about some types of plastics and and maybe harmonizing across the types of plastics that are included are there other products where a lot of attention is focused just given the sheer volume of those products that we use yeah sure um plastics packaging and tire are absolutely the starting points um Mm -hmm. when you talk about plastics it's not just about packaging though right? So as I said, it plastics go in all sorts of applications, cars, shoes, electronics, textiles, appliances. Um, we use a lot of them uh, quite, quite a lot, and we don't have good recycling program there. Mm-hmm. So customers, when they see it um, in different industries, they're coming up to us with these challenging questions and saying, how can we solve this issue? Not just for plastic packaging and tires which we see mountains of in the landfills but rather in the other areas Mm -hmm. so that's where i think we are able to bring partnerships across the value chains to solve it and i would also mention in this current environment of covid19 there is a lot of ppe that is being discarded and Mm. none of these are being recycled and that's actually is posing a huge environmental challenge and that needs to be sorted out as well Huh. Yeah, that's that's very true. I realize that uh, the number of I feel like the number of single use products has increased in some market ways, even as it's decreased in other ways. But, um, you know, sort of communal ketchup bottles, for example, are right. no longer in use in restaurants. And, and, and certainly, as you mentioned, the PPE is a big, a big contributor there. Well, it would be great to hear a little bit more about what circular economy means in practice for BASF. And so I wanted to ask, how are your operations, your supply chains, um, influenced by these circular economy concepts that you've you've been sharing with us? Sure. Um, So BASF invented the Verbund concept in 1910, and it started to convert emitted process um, heat from one plant into steam to use in another plant. Mm -hmm. So for 110 years, we have used this concept. And now we have globally six Verbund sites and building two more in Asia. 
but we also operate this Verbund concept in 20 mega plants. Um, so we have had this mindset that less waste is better not only for the environment, but better for society and the bottom line. Verbund is truly a sustainable concept, meaning no waste. And circular economy is not new to us in BSF. And we are always looking ways to enhance it in our supply chain and operations. And we have multiple projects that are ongoing to not only bring efficiency to our plants, but we are also targeting to make our customers' plant more efficient. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes partnering with our suppliers to ensure that they are reducing their footprint as well and sourcing responsibly. So it's not just us within our fence lines. Mm -hmm. uh, we go across the value chain to help mm -hmm. um, in terms of process. Now, the end product is where we are seeing now challenge in the circular economy. And that's where the reverse logistics come into play. And we are figuring out how do we make sure that we bring in these materials in the most efficient way that is not only cost effective and benefiting the environment, but also has benefits to the society in, as a whole. Hmm. So can you can you say a little bit more about reverse logistics? I have a mental image of what that would mean. I think of logistics as being the process of getting uh, products out to consumers. And I would guess that reverse logistics would be somehow getting those back so that they can be put back in the in the circular economy, for lack of a better term. But um, is that, am I right that that's what you mean by reverse logistics? Is there anything more you could say about that? That is exactly what it is. It It's a key challenge um, mm. as we build the circular economy. So we have had this linear piece that we take, make and dispose, and it starts with the material producers and it ends with the consumers kind of putting it out on the curbside and mm -hmm. it going into the landfill or the MRF. Now, what we need is the consumers to first do the recycling. So we have to make sure that the consumers are also educated. We need infrastructure to collect it mm -hmm. and we need policies around recycling so that it happens with the proper classification and mm -hmm. finally we need economics to make recycling work in the in the current environment there is a lack of direct legislation and there is varying recycling structures which poses a pretty a big problem in north america compared to europe and mm. you couple that with long distances that materials may have to go from the collection to the conversion, meaning that the infrastructure setups cannot be centralized. It has to be actually decentralized and localized. Means that there's opportunity for innovation around processing and availability of materials and different business models may be at play. But reverse logistics, we have to always remember, it starts with a consumer. And right now where we are at, it's primarily collected through the curbside pickup. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it doesn't go to the MRF um, and it ends up in the landfill, especially if it's difficult to recycle material. Mm -hmm. And in the COVID times, we have also seen as budget cuts have happened, that there is more of a collection of everything together to bring efficiency um, and we have also seen that consumers are generating more waste. So it's uh, difficult for individual cities who are perhaps cash strapped to bring those materials to MRF. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing more and more materials now, which can be recycled going into landfill, which is 
exactly the opposite of what needs to happen in order to bring circular economy to a fruition. Right. And MRF stands for? Materials Recovery Facilities. Ah, okay. Materials Recovery Facilities. And uh, sort of a spontaneous question for you too, but, um, you know, BASF as a chemical company is producing inputs into a tremendous number of products, but ultimately my understanding is that you, you know, as you mentioned in your partnership with Adidas, what you're doing is working with another company that kind of produces the end product that actually goes to consumers. So how do you think about which products should go back into your circular economy processes versus which ones should a company like Adidas be handling? Or how do you think of your company's role in the circular economy, given that you're not always the one producing the product that is being recycled? You know, in terms of BSF, BSF not only makes materials, just the materials, we are also um, in the in the process of working through different partnerships. We don't oftentimes make the end material what you see, mm-hmm. but we have um, products that actually make something that is better recyclable or it degrades better. I'll give an example. We don't make the paper cups we are not into that yeah but we are trying to make sure that the paper cups that hold your very hot beverages Mm -hmm. are recyclable right so we are not making the actual structure but we are actually looking at how do we make the internal lining which is now made of polyethylene Mm -hmm. that makes these paper cups very difficult to recycle to convert it to something that allows it for recycling and Mm -hmm. we actually came up with a product which not only allows for the functionality to hold the hot beverages gives the recyclability but it's also cost effective so that's a material that we provide to our converters. So mm-hmm. that's a traditional model. Um, what we I talked about in Adidas was a very close partnership where we came up with this, you know, how do we bring something together in terms of a product design. So we have design fabric. We enable our customers to completely rethink the way the product is working and the materials that are needed to make sure that it's working better for them. Mm -hmm. The other piece is that we oftentimes provide services, as I said, to our customers. So we may not be making um, the product, but we actually have a catalyst that controls the reaction of that material. We provide that catalyst and that actually enables the process to move more efficiently. And we, through some digital capabilities, enable the customers to better monitor when does the catalyst need to be changed to make to ensure that the process is not becoming less efficient so through you know bsf has various models various business units and not one um, business unit has just one just selling products yeah we try to make sure that we are coming to the customer with a complete solution around what we can do to help them. Um, Different customers come with different issues and different challenges, and it depends on the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, we are lightweighting the customer's vehicles, you know, in the traditional sense with plastics and composite materials. And we are also looking at not only catalytic converters for 
the traditional vehicles, how to make them more efficient, but also we're disrupting our, our, ourselves um, by bringing in battery materials to our customers for the next generation of electric vehicles. Hmm. So we try to make sure we are ahead of the trend. Um, we look at constantly what the consumer demands are, and we try to make sure that we bring those solutions, work on the solutions for our customers. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you're as you're talking through this too, I'm I'm reminded. I guess I, th- I think this is something that I knew intuitively, but I'm very much reminded of how intertwined these industries are, and how collective this process of building a circular economy ultimately needs to be. You know, no individual company can manage every piece of this, given how, again, how entwined, how interconnected supply chains are, and and how dependent companies are on each other's materials. And so, I this sort of another spontaneous question for you, but when when it comes to these sort of either cross-company or cross even cross-sectoral collaborations around circular economy, what are some of the fora by which companies can make those links and, and figure out better ways to work together? Sure. So BSF is already part of certain um, forums. Um, Ellen MacArthur Foundation is a fantastic place to convene. There are many conveners that are coming up as well. As an industry, we convene at the APW. It's called Alliance to End Plastic Waste. Mm -hmm. And um, we now have expanded it to other areas. We are constantly looking at areas where we can not only um, partner effectively, but really bring in solutions um, to solve these issues. I think there is a lot of forums that are forming right now, Kristen. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of talking heads, yeah? And the question is, what are we going to do? And BSF Mm -hmm. is into the doing part. And so we are trying to make sure we engage in forums that have a broad-based direction that doesn't deem plastic as an evil, Mm -hmm. but as a necessary thing that needs to be managed better. And we are also trying to make sure we engage in areas where there is advocacy, there is legislation that we can influence, but also get some projects done. And be it education, be it infrastructure, be it actually um, building something on the circular piece, as I talked about together with a customer like the polyethylene lining for paper cups or with Adidas for a completely recyclable shoe. And now, let's take a break for a special message. Well, look, it's Resources Radio co-host Kristen Hayes. And Resources Radio co-host Daniel Ramey. Hi, Kristen. (laughs) Hi, Daniel. Since it's Thanksgiving week, Kristen and I wanted to take a moment to thank you, our listeners and supporters. For those of you who've already donated to RFF in support of Resources Radio, we really can't thank you enough. And if you're not a donor, but would like our undying gratitude and appreciation, Mm -hmm. you can visit rff.org slash support to make a contribution. Thanks again for listening to Resources Radio, and happy Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving! Now, back to the show. I guess I did want to ask, too, I, you know, you've... You've articulated a number of the challenges to successfully building this closed-loop waste cycle, and you know they start with 
infrastructure, as you mentioned, around just how do we get these materials back to places that can handle them with consumer education, um, with policies to drive these. Are there other challenges that you are very aware of? And and I, I guess I'm thinking in particular, um, I would guess that a number of products come back contaminated or, you know, in ways that make them difficult? Or are there limits on the number of times that certain classes of products can be broken back down? Does it differ across products? Yeah, actually, contamination is a very, quite a big issue, yeah, in getting products recycled. Um, but depends on the type of contamination and the process you intend of to use, right? Mm -hmm. For example, if you think about just mechanical recycling, oftentimes contaminated plastics or even mixed material plastics cannot be recycled. Um, and so instead they're landfilled or incinerated. Um, there have been improvements in the mechanical recycling areas, but it can only take care of very clean single stream plastic waste. Mm -hmm. Mixed materials um, is a concern um, because there is some you know, the cross-contamination it cannot handle. So the other piece is that if you think about mechanical recycling, there's only so many turns that a plastic can go through before it starts to degrade. Because mm -hmm. polymer, it's a polymer, right? In the end, it will, you'll see when you put your plastic Tupperware in the microwave for a certain period of time, at some point it starts to have some of those bumpy things and it mm -hmm. doesn't look like new, right? <laughs> um, so we want to make sure that there are alternatives to mechanical recycling. Um, and, you know, mechanical recycling will definitely not be suitable for plastic food packaging. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. your yogurt cups, you don't want to contaminate, you know, have things leaching into it. Yeah. So that's where you see advanced recycling come in and mm -hmm. it actually takes it back to its feedstock. Um, it can take contamination, it can take mixed materials, and the number of turns is not a limiting factor. And you can do it over and over again. Hmm. Um, and so we are seeing a lot of um, progress in advanced recycling um, to process highly contaminated and mixed plastic waste. And BSF has also invested and is, will continue to invest in this area to produce recycled content from them. Hmm. Uh, the other one... I would say, you know, that's about plastics. There's also paper, right? Mm -hmm. And you, it that recycling differs quite significantly because you have to repulp it, you have to de-ink it. It requires a lot of water as part of the effluent stream. So, mm. um, but having said that, the recycling rates of um, of paper are much higher than that of plastics at this time. But you want to make sure that everything in paper can be recycled. And as I gave you an example about the hot beverage cups, mm -hmm. if you put in mixed material with paper, then it becomes unrecyclable, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to always keep in mind that a single material um, is the best for recyclability. Um, take it through the turns as many times as you can without polymer degradation based on application. And when it cannot be recycled anymore through mechanical recycling, we have to find alternative like advanced recycling to make things work hmm. and bring hmm. it back. So different hierarchy and different processes that are mm -hmm. required. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Apala, another kind of broad contextual question for you, but something I'm, I'm curious about. So you mentioned early on, um, you know, some differences between 
the U.S. and Europe. I'm sure there are many. Um, BASF is a German company, and I imagine, therefore, has a very valuable perspective on the differences between those two markets, whether it's consumer demand, whether it's policy that related to the circular economy. So can you just say a little bit more about um, your experience of how the U.S. and Europe potentially differ on uh, the range of issues that we've been talking about? Sure. Um, this is a hot topic all the time <laughs> internally as well. Mm. Um, and this is, uh, this I think we have to address not only um, inside of BSF, but rather globally. Um, there is a huge difference uh, we see mm. in Europe versus US, especially in the legislative policies and government mandates um, that drive business and consumer behavior towards more circular economy. So there's an economic incentive, there's policies that actually push that, which are not present in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and you then combine with a uniform recycling structure, the yeah, circular economy has been growing quite fast over in Germany especially. And I would say it's true also for the Western European bloc mm-hmm. um, as we look across the region. Uh, Circular economy is also accepted in all the three sectors as a as a way for them to move forward. Yeah, in public, private, and civil. It is not to say that we, we are not growing in the U.S. in terms of circularity, but what we are seeing in the U.S. is that the organizations are ramping up their circularity approaches. Mm-hmm. It's a key differentiator for the brands to both consumers and shareholders, mm-hmm. and there's significant innovation that is happening here, despite. I would say not a lack of legislation, but fragmented legislation and not a very good infrastructure that is present around recycling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And would you say that it's that the policy drivers have on some level made most of the difference in terms of kind of the European versus U.S. perspective? Are there different economics at play? Um, and and I feel like I should have asked you earlier about the economics of, of uh, circular economy, but, you know, is there is there an easy business case to make or is that business case improving as time goes on? That was about nine questions packaged into one, but <laughs> yeah, I, any of those that you'd want to respond to? Yeah, the economics to the consumers, I think it's a very important, when you talk about reverse logistics, you want to make sure that the consumers are educated about recycling. There, There is an infrastructure for them to bring it back and mm-hmm. there's an incentive for them to bring it back. So we have to make it easy we have to make them more educated as well as um, we want to make sure that they do bring it back, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of the MRF, the material recycling facility, we see that there is a problem in the U.S. that it doesn't get into the MRFs. Mm-hmm. It goes uh, into the landfills because it is difficult to sort. It is very expensive. And Europe has made it so that the consumers um, are are incentivized to bring it back. So they mm-hmm. have that meet five cents deposit. Actually, it's not just that. Um, you actually can um, get penalized in certain countries for not recycling. Your mm. garbage is actually weighed. Um, and if you put out too many recyclables, that can be... Um, recycled instead and you put it in the garbage you are actually penalized we are seeing that Mm. also in certain cities in the u.s um so there are 
incentives that you can put in place mm -hmm. um, for the consumers to have the right behavior. So that's a starting point. But there is also the economic incentive of the municipalities to bring the materials not to a landfill, but to a MRF. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And right now there is a economic difference in this bringing to MRF versus taking to landfill to the benefit of the landfill. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to balance that out better, uh, both in terms of the collecting point from the consumers, but also bringing it to the right sorting facility. Mm -hmm. MRFs are not making that much money right now from the bales that they sell. So you have to make sure, in order to bring it back, it has to make economic sense. Mm -hmm. Couple that with the very cheap feedstocks that are coming from the virgin materials, mm -hmm. oil and natural gas, in North America especially, it becomes a little bit of an economic challenge mm -hmm. to switch it around. So that's why I think we need to not drop the word economy from the circular part. A lot mm -hmm. of people are call it circularity. I would say let's keep the economy part because mm -hmm. unless there is economic incentive, you cannot make this work. Mm -hmm. And there are uh, coalitions and partnerships that are forming that are really looking at how do we change this economic balance? Hmm. Hmm. And uh, more to come. It's not an uh, easy nut to crack. As you can see, there's multiple facets in this challenge. And we want to make sure that it is all covered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. finally, there's also responsibility from the material producers as well as the brand owners as part of the EPR. Yeah. Responsibility. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Paula, this has been really interesting. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us um, both your own experience within, again, a large international company and also just generally ground our listeners in uh, these issues that I think are quite um, I, th I feel like some of the issues we talk about on the podcast are, you know, feel a little bit distant. I think this one feels very familiar to many people, uh, to all of us probably. And as you point out, especially during the pandemic when, you know, we're not just putting our waste in, in a, you know, company's uh, trash bin that gets taken away before we know, we actually are much more sort of um, visibly aware of the waste that we produce. So, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk through this with us. Well, and I wanted to close with our regular feature, Top of the Stack. And so I'd like to ask you, Apala, if you have any uh, more good content that you might recommend to our guests. It can be um, related to the topic that we've been discussing. It might be something different. It can be in any format. Uh, but I'd love to hear, Apala, what's on the top of your stack? So right now on top of my stack is, as you can imagine, is the Circular Economy Handbook okay. by Lacey, <laughs> Peter Lacey and Long and Spindler. It's a, it's a wonderful book, which actually uh, details out some case studies um, and what business models would look like. Mm -hmm. um, the prelude to that for was from um, Waste to Wealth, uh, also by Peter Lacey. Um, I think there is a lot of really good reads out there on circularity. And the other article that I would like the listeners to pay attention to is Breaking the Plastic Wave, which okay. came out recently. 
great. Well, there will be links to those from our uh, from our webpage too. We always like to include some easy access to the top of the stack recommendations. So thank you very much for sharing those. Sure. And again, thank you very much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Learn how to support resources for the future at rff.org slash support. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.